fair. To be fair, like I probably was the least experienced um, out of most people. I don't know everyone's background exactly, but most people don't get into Barkley with yeah. with just a 50k. Yeah, I've only done a couple of 50ks actually. Like, so I probably did deserve it. And you, last you, said, you, well, you came first. You came first in BFC. Yeah, you know, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I did <laughs> earn my way. Like, <laughs> okay, okay, yeah. So I did earn my way there. Um, but Laz has said, yeah, the, the person that he thinks has no business being out there, basically. Um, so I came to embrace it as as we got to camp. I picked it up like Laz. I've got a picture of Laz handing me the bib, and like his facial expression is is priceless. Like he's so excited to see like my reaction when I get it. Um, and I'm just like, okay, well, at that point, I kind of decided like I'm gonna embrace this, accept it, it, like accept this challenge. And it was pretty cool because now the bar's been set really low for me. Like at that moment, it's like he expects me to be the first person back to camp. And I'm like, okay, I just got to outlast some people out there. <laughs> like no matter what, like hopefully I'll get around to a couple books, you know, and get back. But ideally I wanted to make it all the way around. That, my friend, was Karen McNeeny. And this is Inspiration Runners Podcast. Hey everyone, hope you're all well. My name's Robbie Marsh and I'm your host, so welcome to the podcast. It's been weeks since I've got an episode out. That's the joys of setting up a new mountain adventures business, but I'm not willing to let go of this podcast. And we soon are over the hump. Can't wait to get the finger back in the pulse. The racing is starting to kick back up again. So we're starting to feel that energy flow through. I've got an exceptional episode here with Karen and Chris, who took part in this year's Barkley Marathon. What a superb race. It looks like it may be the only race that I'm gonna to get to do this year in the Barkley Classic, but that for sure isn't a complaint. I'm not gonna hold you up any longer with my gibberish. It's with great pleasure I give you Karen and Chris and the Barkley Marathon. So that, that's it, perfect. It's clear, so, picture's perfect, yeah. there's no echo. And you can tell we're all ultra runners, like we're just solving puzzles as we go and adapting to the current situation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Karen, Chris, good to have you on the podcast. Um, quite an, uh, an eventful couple of weeks you've had. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it is. And thank you. This is the first podcast um, either of us have ever been on. <clears throat> Winner. Yeah, it's a little weird that anyone wants to hear what I have to say. Well, we'll be the judge of that after you've said it. So, yeah. <laughs> so let's strip it Fair back. Enough. Let's strip it back a bit. Um, we'll obviously get because both of you took part in the Barclay. We've had a couple of people that have. The Barclay is a very difficult thing to do a podcast on. I always tiptoe around what's happened, and even though I have had Laz on the podcast and Maggie, and we had a couple of Irish contenders um that we did do episodes with but it was very very difficult because i always tiptoe around you know what happened and blah 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 um they're still doing a great job with all of the focus that it's getting to keep it so secretive and not let too much out although we did have a few um tweets going on this time <laughs> which, yeah. which um sparked a bit of controversy i believe but you're both for people that do know you anyway um you're both a couple. How did that relationship start? When did, how did you meet? Great question. <laughs> yeah, um, so yeah, that actually happened at Barclay um, and kind of at the Barclay Fall Classic. Uh, so we, we both ran the Fall Classic in 2017. And um, 
about half the field, maybe more, got lost that year. We all missed this one turn that, in hindsight, seems ridiculous and stupid because it's so obvious. But half the field got lost. And we didn't realize it at the time, but we were actually in that group together lost. And so then fast forward to the following year in Barkley, I was crewing Amelia Boone. And Karen's a local. She lives in Knoxville, about an hour from the park. And she just was there um, for the day, like not part of Barkley, but just like running the trails and stuff. And um, Amelia had finished at that point. So my job as crew was done. And I ran into Karen and we met at Barkley and then realized that we had kind of seen each other six months earlier at the Fall Classic. Um, and yeah, ever since. So yeah, three years ago um, was the official start of this. So this, this could crush the whole Barkley image, you know finding love at the Barclay, you know, those sort of yeah, things. I know. so apparently there, we are not the first, um, someone, I think frozen Ed, um, told us that someone, there was another couple that met at Barclay and got married. So they're, they're ahead of us cause they got married. We're not there yet, but, but we are not the first couple to meet at the Barclay apparently. Yeah. That's a different. And the crazy part too, is how we both got in to the race field at the same time. Because it's such mm -hmm. a hard, you know, thing to get into. Like Chris went a different avenue. He was on the wait list for several years before he actually got the chance to get in. And then to me, it was more of a surprise. I didn't expect to get in the race. Um, but by winning BFC, then I was like, I can't turn this opportunity down. So then I got in actually first. Um, and then Chris got into the race field officially for 2021 shortly after me. Yeah, only a couple of days later. Um, it was all around the same time. But there were a couple of days was like, oh, no, she's in and I'm not. And it, it was pretty devastating. Uh, but I was excited to crew her. I mean, if I couldn't yeah, run it, yeah. I was ready to do everything I could to set her up for success. Because, like, what a buzz of a place to be around, you know, no matter whether you're doing the race or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so that was, like, I, I can't overstate the, like, how helpful that was to be able to crew before I got in um, and I actually crewed twice. So I crewed Amelia Boone in 2018. I crewed uh, Maggie in 2019. Um, and so just being there, you meet other people, you hear the stories, you, you see what works as far as crewing and transitions, you see what doesn't work. Um, and it's just a cool experience. Um, I mean, it was, it was surreal that first year. I mean, I'm, I was a nobody, I'm still a nobody and I'm hanging out with like John Kelly who's finished the thing. And um, like we went for a run together that year in 2018 and it was just wild and like now these people are my friends but I still feel like <laughs> like they're giants in ultra running mm -hmm. and I'm just this little guy who got lucky and, and stumbled into this Barkley world <laughs> but now that I've done it I feel a little bit more like I belong but it's still crazy how did you end up um crewing for those two then Amelia and Maggie uh, Amelia and I connected because we were both coached um, by David Roach at the time. Um, and so, yeah, we just, um, I don't remember how it all started, but she was keeping it pretty secret that she was in. Um, and so it worked out that um, by me getting on the wait list. So I got, that was the year I got on the wait list as well. So Amelia and I both applied the same year. She got in, I got on the wait list. And so it's like, hey, since I was on the wait list, I kind of knew that she had gotten in because um, otherwise not many people knew. And so it was a good way for her to have somebody 
who knew she was in mm. crew without because uh, we didn't actually meet in person until Barkley. Uh, like that was when I met Amelia. And then Maggie, I met that same time. We shared a campsite with Maggie um, that year. And so the next year when Maggie needed crew, Amelia and I crewed her. Um, so, we, so we had a yes. good Irish contender who's a phenomenal ultra runner. Ian Keith, you might know Ian. Oh, well. yeah. We yeah, have... Ian <laughs> Ian broke his collarbone that year and finished that, that second loop with, with Maggie and Amelia and, um, and Jamil and Johnny. That was that was wild. Ian's, yeah. Ian's a tough guy. He is. He oh, I also want to. I Go also ahead. want to bring up the fact you talk about um, some Irish runners. Um, technically, like I'm Irish, like uh, last name McNeeny. But um, going back, there's actually different kind of different branches of the family tree that go back, and we've done a lot of ancestry, um, like research type stuff, genealogical research. And I know that my family comes from um, County Tyrone in Northern Ireland. And then I also have um, some family around County Monaghan, County Armagh, like sort of like the border area as well. But this was back late 1700s. So if there are any McNeenies from around that area, um, we'd love to get in touch or hear from them and connect yeah. a little so bit you, more you, there. This is actually the third Irish um, Barkley podcast I've done then because we had Billy Reed as well. <laughs> so we had a, we actually did a podcast with Ian Keith. Ian actually went on to win UTMB Oman there, I think last year, the year before. Um, phenomenal Irish ultra runner, but I do know he's he's one of the best navigators around as well. You know, he's got a background in sort of hill walking, um, and that really sort of plays to your favor, doesn't it? Like, mm -hmm. oh. Yeah, navigation is is key at Barkley. That's that's what I attribute much of my success to this year was the navigation. Yeah, both of us. It was kind of a new thing within a race, like navigating within the race. Um, besides, when we got lost at BFC and needed to do some better navigation at that. Um, but that's what we spent a lot of time preparing for and um, studying topographical maps um, beforehand to work on the navigation. Because you are a local, Karen, aren't you? Ish. Yes, I was born and raised here in Knoxville, which is about 45 minutes to an hour um, from Frozen Head. Right, okay. So still a bit of a travel. Do you get to, is the park open then for you to go and do recce's on it and things like that? Yes, um, the park is open. It's only open between like 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. or something. It, it depends. It's based on daylight. So mm. kind of like an hour after, I guess, daylight starts, maybe. <laughs> Not sure on that one. But um, it definitely, you have to be off the trails an hour before sunset. Okay. Because so, John, John Kelly was pretty local, that, wasn't he? Like John Kelly lived across the road, yeah. I think. Oh, very, very close. Yeah, he's he's more local um, than I am, for sure. He could see like chimney tops and different <laughs> things from his house. Yeah, him being the last person that um, actually completed the Barkley. So when was the first time you heard about the Barkley or the Barkley Classic, Karen? So for me, it was it was from my friends. Um, I think it started with, probably it started with Barkley Fall Classic. Um, maybe I'd heard a little bit about Barkley, just, you know, I'm passing from other people, like this crazy race that happens pretty close to Knoxville, but I had actually never been to Frozen Head until like 2015, I guess. So that was when one of my friends, Liz Norad, was in the Barkley Fall Classic. And I went to watch her and take some pictures. 
I thought it was crazy. <laughs> At that time, I was doing like sprint triathlons and um, getting into some longer triathlons, but the focus was always on just like be as fast as possible. It was like road running and and cycling and saving ounces everywhere you can with like arrow wheels and stuff. And then I go and I see this and there's people like clawing up what they call, you know, rat jaw, the, the famous hill and just tumbling over the top of the hill. And there's covered in dirt and briars and, it, it just didn't look like a running race at all to me. Was yeah. like, Why are these people doing this? You, you were standing there with your heart rate monitor on and your watch going like, yeah. what are they doing? You know, lycra, yeah. gels, little packs, whole work, sunglasses. Yeah, exactly. Looking as cool as you possibly could look. Do you know what I mean? You're yeah, it was totally different. And then these monsters come over the hill just falling and growling and, you know, blood coming out their eyes, drool coming down their <laughs> face. like, And it's like, what the hell is going on here? Yeah, it looked it looked absolutely crazy. I did not think that I would have the desire to ever do that. Yeah, so like were you ultra running at that stage or were you just doing triathlon? No. Um I had I had done some trail races, but at that stage, so that was 2015, um probably the longest run on trails I'd done was a half marathon. And I, I eventually, I did an Ironman triathlon. So I had the confidence that I could be out like basically on my feet or swimming or on my bike or whatever, um, for a total time of, I don't know about, I guess it was a little under 12 hours. And to be honest, like the first time I attempted an Ironman, I failed completely. I had some health issues, but, um, I made it through the swim and the bike and then basically couldn't go on anymore. And I ended up in the medical tent getting a couple uh, bags of IV fluid. So then I came back the next year to redeem myself. Even so that, though that I was good. That was good practice though. Good practice for the Barkley. It, it really was. <laughs> yeah. It was like failing and then trying again. Um, so but, I did my first ultra in 2017 though. It was the Duncan Ridge trail race, which is, uh, it's pretty hilly itself. It's got a lot of climbing in it and it's down in Georgia on some similar trails as um, actually the Georgia death race part of that as well. The, the triathlon does sort of prepare you well though from a fueling sort of idea and what's happening with your body. I think it really helps with ultra running and endurance events. I went out, we have a local round here called the seven seven. So seven meters over seven mountains over 700 meters. And I went out with a triathlon coach the other day, you know, and it'd been a while since like, I've done Ironman Switzerland a few years back and it's been a while since i was exposed to all of these like bars he was pulling out of his pack and gels but he's super strong like but he was able to maintain such good fueling around that yeah. round and it really does help you doesn't it like it helps you set up and it is you do go into that pain cave in our man there's absolutely no doubt about that like even though it's a bit of a slog at the end yeah i agree about the fueling uh, the importance of kind of like learning that and consistently fueling throughout a long event. I think that was very key to at least me making it through the loop. I didn't do it, you know, in, within time, but I felt good at the, at the end of my loop. Like I, looking back, I didn't feel like I was out there for 17 and a half hours, which is crazy because that's the longest I've ever been out. Um, and I sort of attribute that to just eating throughout and monitoring my my effort level for what i was capable of at the time 
So what, what about yourself, Chris? Um, how, what was your sort of background before you came into this? Because you done P- Pike's Peak Marathon, didn't you? Yeah. Um, so I, Ching, it's not I like me to do of... any prep, but I, I knew that. <laughs> Sorry. Um, well, that's, yeah, you didn't have to scroll through my ultra sign up page for long because <laughs> there's not much there. Um, but yeah, so I think I, I've been trying to figure out when I first heard of Barkley. And the, the first conversation I remember was probably like 2015. Um, my friend Brett um, was talking about it and he had some friends who did it. And, and Brett's a, mostly a road runner. Um, and, and he just, he was explaining it as this like insane thing. And I, and I was, I wasn't really running at that point. Um, I come from more of a hiking background and I remember him explaining this. I'm like, this sounds stupid. Like, why would anyone do this? It's so contrived and pointless. And like, you don't, you don't enjoy it. And, 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 but I, I remember going home later and trying to remember the name of this race he had told me about because it stuck in my head. And I eventually found it and I found Matt Mahoney's website, which is the best resource for like old race reports and stuff. And I still didn't want to do it, but it just kind of stuck with me. Mm. And then, um, and then somehow I ended up signing up to run BFC in 2017. Um, I know my, my friend Patrick ran it in 2016 and was telling me about it. And so I, I think he kind of was a bad influence on me and made me sign up for 2017 and so I, I drove up to the park um, from, I lived in Florida at the time. So it was about an eight hour drive up to Frozen Head. And I drove up there and ran some of the trails and I was, and it was cool, but I was like, man, this, everything looks the same. Like how, how do people navigate this place in the dark, um, off trail in horrible weather? Like everything looked the same. I, I had come from more like climbing mountains and, and hiking and, and getting the beautiful views and um and i was like i don't know how people do this like barkley has to be a joke right and yeah you were you were actually used to doing a lot of stuff above tree line and so that kind of screws with you because like here yeah there's trees everywhere like so many trees and bushes that just you know make everything look the same yeah yeah so it's it's totally opposite of the type of thing i normally like i like getting up high in the mountains in colorado above tree line on the like our fourteen thousand foot peaks Uh, we call them 14ers and um or or anywhere like yosemite national park is my favorite place in the world um so like frozen head is not scenic compared to those places i love frozen head i'm not bashing frozen head but it is just it's not you don't do barkley for the scenery um, you do Barkley for the challenge and to, to find out something about yourself. And, um, and it's, it's a, I love it. I love frozen head. I love running there, but it's just, it's, it was weird how it stuck with me because I, when I first heard of it, I was like, this is nothing that is not interesting at all, but it just, it got in my head and I had this itch that I had to scratch and I had to go do it. And so, um, so when I signed up to run BFC in 2017, that was actually going to be my first ultra. Um, and then it turned out my friend Patrick, who I mentioned, who had done BFC, he was putting on a 50K in where I lived at the time um, a couple weeks, like uh, October 2016. And he convinced me to run it um, basically the week of. Um, and I had never run farther than 16 miles at that point. And that 16 mile run had happened like a couple weeks before with Patrick on the race course, just trying to, like he was giving me a tour of it. So I was not really a runner. I was more of a long distance hiker, um, but I, I did it. I did the 50K. Um, it was a 
disaster, but I finished. Um, and then I ran one more 50K the following year, and then I did BFC as my third 50K. All right, okay. So give me a bit of a description on BFC. Um, so Karen, if you give me a bit of a description on, on, you know, what it's about for people who don't know, you know, the distance, the course, because you, you have a decision point, don't you? Whether you finish yeah. the marathon or go ahead and do the ultra. So just give me a bit of description about the race course. Okay, so Barkley Fall Classic, the majority of it is on park trails. And in my opinion, the, the park trails aren't super technical. Um, some people might think like, oh, it's super, really, really technical. I mean, there's there's rocks and things, but for this area, I guess, like the mountains out here, um, that's, that's not really the hard part. There's a lot of ups and downs on these park trails. But the big part that really stands out about BFC is that you get a taste of some of the off-trail sections that have been in the big Barkley. So um, this past year, we actually got to do Ratchaw twice, which is, I don't know what the stats are exactly on that. Um, is it like 1,800 feet up or something? And Yeah, about 1,800 in a mile, I think. Okay, um, yeah. Yeah, so like we did that twice yeah, this year. And then the hard part about that, like the really hard part is that in September, the briars are... Uh, they're certainly a, they were above my head i mean they're just like green and flowing everywhere just like reaching out to grab you and you're fighting through them the whole time in the big barkley they they just seemed like little baby briars because they were still there they were, they were still there um but just more down around your feet and stuff um and i got scratched up a little bit at barkley from the briars but Rat jaw in September at BFC is crazy, so you need to prepare yourself for that. Yeah, yeah um, you're basically I, tunneling. You're you're tunneling through the briars. You're, there's no. Yeah. You can't just power up the climb like you do in in the big yes. Barkley. You have to like tunnel and and like move them out slowly, or just bash through them and destroy your body if you really want to. But it's it's brutal. Yeah, um, and then getting to the decision point as well. So, but see the um, bri see the briars just before you get there. I did actually see the picture in your race report oh, yeah. of your legs, like yeah. So like that was I actually, as bad as anybody's <laughs> legs I have seen coming out of a, a any type of race. Yeah, mm -hmm. that that was pretty bad. I did. Uh, let's see. I was wearing shorts, I, and my skin wasn't totally covered there. Um, I think I had like. <laughs> calf sleeves or like calf guards or whatever you call them um and and just shorts on and i there was a part where i could see the the top of the climb and one thing about rack jaw is that a lot of times it causes a bottleneck so like some of the runners that had gotten there before me had been working really hard for a while to clear the path to get up to to rack jaw but because we had a wave start last year i started in the final wave so like maybe it was like an hour behind the first people that had started. Some of these people had been there for a while and they were working their way up. And then when I get there, I was maybe, I don't know, 200 yards from the top. And I see this line of people kind of waiting and I'm like, I got to go. So I just kind of made a decision at the moment to start plowing and like powering through the briars, just head on and, and split off from the main line that was going up there. And I got really cut up then, but then um, shortly after some other people saw me doing that, they joined in and, and helped me sort of fight the briars to, to finish our way up to the top there. And then, um, so continuing on, we, we did Ratcha one more time after that initial climb. So how did, which, how did that feel when coming back around a second time? Was it like, oh, here we go again? 
Yeah. Um, surprisingly, it was better, I guess, because there had been a full path cleared all the way up to the top. It Mentally, it was, it was kind of intimidating knowing that we had to do it again, mm. but in a way too, it was also like, this is the, the final big climb. And then after that, it was just park trails on the way back to the finish. So I was excited, like starting to like feel the end was in sight. Um, and then, so right after the second climb of Ratjaw, then we got to that decision point you were talking about. And so that's where you can decide to, um, I don't know, it, finish the marathon do, do the marathon finish and it's only a couple miles back to the finish or i mean i, I think the difference well, what, what I, was it chris like I, I, we had, three miles versus six miles i had Wait, i had two friends wasn't the dis- oh sorry sorry i totally made a yeah i've made a mistake here <laughs> let's look, clarify this the decision point was after after first ratchet the first Ratchaw. Yeah, you had to choose to do Ratchaw second. There we go. That makes yeah. That that totally makes sense. My memories. Yeah. It wasn't. Yeah, okay. it, it was either like three or four easy miles back to the finish. Yeah, for the yeah. Or descend and do Ratchaw again, and then seven more miles after that. Okay. So even after Ratchaw, there was more miles on park trails than the marathon was. Um, so it yes. was a pretty big commitment to go out there again if you were going for the 50k. Yeah, I, I okay, tell you, yeah, I'll tell you how big of a commitment it is. I had two friends from Ireland actually doing it. One is virtually my neighbor here as well. Um, both, uh, them, both them DNF'd. <laughs> so they, they... they went for the 50k. They'd, they'd been the previous year and had done the marathon. And one of them had okay. anyway. Um, we'd done a great podcast. He never even told me he was going. And he lives like half a mile up the road from me. Like I was <laughs> ripping. Oh. He came back and we, we did an interview and I was like, I just want to kill you. <laughs> but um, <laughs> so we went back 2019, it would have been now. And the two of them came to the decision point. I think one of them may or may not have had a head torch. So Laz was like, you know, he was sort of holding them back. They went on anyway and they DNF'd <laughs> the two of them. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, That's the risk you take. Yeah. So I didn't hear much of their story when they came back anyway. It's just like, mm, did you not do the bfc last month yeah yeah sort of did like but (laughs) (laughs) um but we've got quite a a gathering going over this this year like so it's it is quite a challenge only you'll know yourself whether or not um there's no real worry about getting lost though is there after that i mean (laughs) so considering we got lost the first time so yeah i guess we got lost um with a whole bunch of people that year and it's not necessarily lost we just got off course and couldn't figure out where the course was supposed to go yeah that sounds like um, lost that sounds like lost to and, me. <laughs> <laughs> and then i actually did do the same i in a different spot i got lost the following year so i guess if i did the first year was 2017 2018 i did it and um i got lost again <laughs> so that's why i was really wanting to redeem myself 2020 when i finally got back and I just wanted to make sure I did the course correctly, didn't get lost, and made it to the finish and didn't bonk. That was my main goal. And how, how did you get lost? How did that happen? Like, what what put you off? Like, well, one issue in ultra races is following people. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm a disaster for that because I'm never out at front. So I'm always, like, when I'm at the race briefing, I'm never really that focused because I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to follow people. <laughs> like, if I ever find myself exactly. in front, like, everybody's in trouble um exactly exactly that's what happened to me i 
I get lazy sometimes and I'm like, okay, well, there's people in front of me. I like, they probably know what they're doing. And I just follow them. Like, that's all you have to do. But that's what happened both times. That's what's happened to me at other races too, where I've gotten off course and lost, like even just like local trail races, which is embarrassing. So yeah. So that going into Barkley, I was like, I cannot just follow people blindly. I need to prepare myself to actually follow the course and look for these course markings and markers and the instructions that he gave us beforehand. So you actually you actually got into the Barkley because you won the 2020 BSC. 20, yes. Uh, it's hard to keep up with the years because COVID sort of shook us and, th- and th- threw the whole thing about. Like, um, yeah. So how was that at the very end then? Did you know, because the, the, the lady that comes second, she's only a few minutes behind you, wasn't she? And when you, had wave, yeah. when you had wave starts as well, did you actually know what was going on? So being in the fifth wave, which was the final wave, I knew that basically the only people, like if I caught up to all the other women, um, the only person that could, could then beat me would be one of the girls from my wave and at that point after I had made it through both rat jaws and I was heading back I was in front of the other girls in my wave the last time I had seen one of them was a couple hours earlier on the course so I wasn't exactly sure where they were Um, and then I, I caught up to a girl I think she was in the wave just ahead of mine I caught up to her right around Um, where I saw Laz at the decision point. So I had passed her. And because she had started right in the wave ahead of me, she basically would have to beat me by by 15 minutes to the finish. So I knew I had a little cushion there. I could run with her if needed. And she would, I mean, there was still like the danger of her just like taking off once she saw me, you know, and then me trying to chase her down. So I didn't know what would happen with that. But I was a little nervous that, um, Christiana Roglowski, I'm not sure I said her name right. She was the one that I had seen most recently that was in my wave. And I was kind of nervous that she was going to catch me. She was a very good downhiller. I had seen her earlier in the race running downhill and she had passed me at one point on a descent. So that was in the back of my mind. Because there's a big the descent, weird part. There's a big descent finish, like, isn't there? Quite a few miles. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a pretty big descent um, from the chimney tops area down to the finish. And, um, yeah, so the weird part about the finish for me though, was the, those last seven miles, there was, there was no one, I didn't see a single person in front of me or behind me. I didn't hear anyone. And so I also started thinking, am I lost again? Did I go (laughs) off course? Like here I got myself like a first woman at that point. And I was like, maybe I went off course somehow. And like, these are familiar trails to me, but I, I definitely could have gone the wrong way. So I was thinking that the whole time. And I was I was just like, don't, don't mess up. Don't sprain your ankle. Don't, don't run down some other wrong trail. Just get to the finish and then see how everything's played out at that point. Um, once I got to the road, there's a final stretch of road, maybe a mile or less. I went as hard as I could, just <laughs> used the last of my energy to finish hard, got to the finish. And I was, I was like, I guess I, I did this. Um <laughs> Like two minutes later, uh, Christiana comes through and um, I guess she goes by Chris also. So Chris came through and I was like, oh my gosh, that was way closer than I thought it was going to (laughs) be. I did not know she was so close. And I heard reports afterwards that she was running really, really strongly in that last section. She flew past me. Yeah. Let the record state that Karen beat me 
NBFC and Christiana also beat me. She flew past me in those final few miles. So yeah, I'm not surprised that she was only a couple minutes behind because she was, she also ran a hundred miler the week before. Yeah. Yeah. Let's throw that out there. Give her credit for that. She's going to, she's going to turn some heads in the future. Definitely. She's got a lot of, a lot of racing ahead of her. So how was Karen then, Chris, you know, when you met her after you finished, like how how long behind Karen Uh, were you? You mean it? Yeah. Uh, So, uh, I actually don't remember. Maybe 15 minutes? Yeah, you might have been 15 minutes behind me. Mm. Yeah, so uh, I have a bad habit of throwing up in races. Um, I, I may have finally figured that out because it, it hasn't happened since BFC. Um, and I, I spent a lot of time on that the, um, the few minutes, few months following BFC so that I could have it dialed before um, Barkley, which I didn't know at the time I'd be in, but I was hoping I would be. And so I haven't had any issues with that lately, but in, in BFC I did. And that's when Karen passed me the, on the second rat jaw. Um, that, I was that was an excuse, and... by the way, Karen. Everybody's listening is going, yeah, yeah. Okay, Chris. Okay. <laughs> no, <laughs> has, You're an ultra runner. Me. Suck it up. Suck it up. She has beat me in two in two out of three BFCs. She's beaten me. Um, so, and one of them, she got lost and did three extra miles and still beat me by an hour. So, um, good comeback. So, yeah. Good comeback. Um, but, but that was where we crossed paths was on the second Ratshaw, and then I didn't see her again after that. Um, but I did recover and, and ran decently well from there, but not as not as well as she did. Um, so, so yeah, about fifteen. Like, how did that conversation go down then? Like, because Karen had come first female in. Like, were you thinking? Of Barkley at that point, because everyone knows, you know, if you win BFC, the chances are that you get into Barkley. Was that in your <laughs> mind? Were you like, oh my God, this is like, or... what have I done? <laughs> yeah, I was a little nervous. I know some people go in and they're just like gunning to get to get that win to get into Barkley. I wouldn't say that was me exactly. Um, I was a little nervous, but. I thought it would be a really cool opportunity. I kind of was on the fence about whether I was going to actually apply at first. Um, I mean, you, you do kind of get guaranteed entry with the win, but you still have to apply and you still have to do it at the right time and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but then like, I thought about it for a while. I was like, I can't pass up this opportunity. Like I got to do it. Chris was the one that's always really wanted to do Barkley. It's more his style of thing. So I just looked at it as a new challenge to see how I could do um, and decided I'd go for it and just prepare as hard as I could. The press over the last 12 months around the Barkley, you know, even the last 12, the last couple of years, really, it's just building and building and building, isn't it? Like everybody's grabbing hold of it. Everybody wants a bit of it. Um, yeah. And it, I don't know if it's timid. If it's, what's the word I'm looking for? I can't, I've lost the word there. It's, um, but you see these great ultra runners that do it and things like that. And it's such a, all that really goes out the window, really, doesn't it? You know, because it's such a difficult place. You know, anything can happen there. Obviously, familiarity with the course helps. You know, you have some sort of awareness of where you're going. Um, Talk to me. So I would say. Intimidate, intimidating was the word I was looking for there, by the way. (laughs) Oh, yes, it's very intimidating. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. t- tell me about um, the moment then that you received notification that you actually <laughs> got in uh, yeah so I, <laughs> I got actually saw it first. 
Yeah. I, I didn't know. Like I had heard um, one of our friends had gotten notification that he was in and I was like, Oh, that's really cool. I was like, I guess I didn't, I didn't get it. Um, and I was like, well, you know, there's next year or something like that'll give me more time to prepare. But then I check my email several hours later. I'm really bad at checking my email. Um, so I checked my email and I actually had the the letter of condolences in my email inbox. <laughs> so I had gotten it early that morning and didn't didn't know. Yeah, I was a little nervous. Um, but I guess mentally by that point when I got it, I was kind of preparing myself for it. So I actually saw it when I was in the bathroom and I yelled to Chris. I was like, I, I got in. Um, <laughs> and I was kind of scared. It was like, it was becoming more real. And like you said, like intimidation is a, is a big factor. Just the thought of being out in the middle of the forest, in the dark, in the cold, and you hear these stories of people getting hypothermic and breaking bones and just being terribly, terribly lost out there. Like all those thoughts went through my mind. And that's kind of why I really focused on just preparing for that, like making sure I had multiple layers, making sure I knew how to get back to camp if I just got terribly lost somewhere like north of camp. Like, okay, I've got a compass, just go south. <laughs> or, you know, just if I was east or west or whatever, just hopefully I could figure out how to get back. And that gave me that gave me a little security, kind of knowing that, like a little reassurance knowing that in the worst of cases, I should be able to get back and I should be able to keep myself warm and alive. Um, but it's not the normal things you worry quite, about for a race. Yeah, exactly. Like, cause it can be quite dangerous, can't it? We had, um, so we talked about Ian Keith there, you know, when I podcast him and he was yeah. out and it was thunder and lightning and it was in the middle of the dark. And I was like, geez, you couldn't write this shit. Like, and then we had a good friend of mine, Billy Reed, who we had on the podcast as well. He was with Nikki Spinks. And yeah. I was so surprised that two of them pulled out because of the threat of going hypothermic. You know, right. absolute legend, like who's done the double rounds and, you know, and it was like, they had like 30 degrees during the day and then they went out and Billy never even, he never went out with the right clothes because it was just happened so very, very quickly. And it was so warm. It never even came into their minds that it was going to drop to such a low temperature. And it's not just, yeah. you talked about the terrain there and the navigation and how everything looks the same. And when the fog comes down, it's got such a unique microclimate, hasn't it? You know that? It does. It does. And even like out there. So when I was on the course, I got hailed on twice at Barkley this year. Chris didn't ever have any hail. He, he didn't even have like heavy rain. Um, it rained the whole time, but it was, well, the whole, let's say, be clear, like the 17, 18 hours, like we were kind of in the race on course. Um, but it, it hailed on me twice. And then he was maybe like half a mile or a mile away and it never hailed on him. So Chris, give me, give me a bit brief description about the Barkley for anybody that's listening that hasn't heard about it yet. You know, how distance course, just what you know. Yeah. About so Barkley, uh, it's a five loop, five loop race, uh, each loop according to Laz, is officially 20.000 miles. Um, we can't use GPS, so we can't prove his, him wrong on that. But most people think it's it's at least 25 or 26 miles, um, but we'll never know. And each loop has, he does tell us this, that each loop has about 14,000 feet of climbing. Mm. Um, 
And so to complete Barkley, you complete all five loops. Um, and so that's 100 miles with 70,000 feet of, of climbing. Um, and only 15 people have ever completed it in the 35 years of the race. Um, a few people have completed more than once. So I think there are 18 total completions. Um, you can't use map. Or I mean, you can't use GPS. You can only use map and compass. You can't have any electronics, um, camera, uh, music, anything. It's just map and compass and the watch that he gives you, um, you, we used to be able to have, or not we, I wasn't in the race at this time, but you used to be able to bring your own watch as long as it didn't have GPS. Now he gives out a watch um, an hour before the race. And this year it was this little $8 pocket watch from Walmart that like you had to squeeze to open up and it was like an analog clock. It wasn't even digital. The old watches that he gave at least were digital and had like alarms on them. So you could set an alarm if you needed to remind yourself to, to eat or take a nap or something. I don't know. Um, so it keeps, he keeps making it harder, um, both with the course itself and also just the little things that he takes away from us. Um, like the, our own watches that we're comfortable with because the pocket watch was mostly useless. Like you can't wear it around your wrist and glance at your time and you can't afford to, to slow down, to pull this thing out and open it up and look at it. So most people that I talk to barely use their, their watch. Um, I pulled mine out a couple times just out of curiosity of how, how long it had been. But um, yeah, it's, it's just brutal. This course, like they're the cutoffs, the cutoffs make it really, really difficult. Um, like completing a loop is tough, but if you have unlimited time, you can get through it. Um, mm -hmm. What surprised me so much was the physical effort required to complete a loop fast enough to have enough time to go out for a second loop or a third loop or more. I can't even fathom, um, five loops. It, it, that, that does not seem possible to me. I, I don't understand these people who have done that. Um, but even just three loops, um, I mean, I came in from loop one um, feeling okay, but I was, I was pretty wrecked too. Like I was surprised how, how much that loop had taken out of me to do it fast enough to go out for another one. And, and I also, at that time, it was, it was feasible that I could have done three if I could have done a second one fast enough, um, which didn't happen. But um, but to like, it just, it was so much harder than I thought it would be to complete that first loop fast enough to have that time cushion. So these cutoffs are just brutal. What is, um, it, what is, what is it, the cutoff per loop? Oh, okay. So yeah, the time, so, um, the, so if the first three loops, so, okay, it's, it kinda, it's kind of tricky. So you have 13 hours, 20 minutes to complete loop one. Um, and to get out on the next loop. So you, if you come in at 13, 19, you have to get out on loop two in under a minute. Um, for loop two, it's 26, 40. It's, it's double that. Um, to finish the fun run, which is three loops, you have 40 hours, which is 13, 20 per loop. But to go out on a fourth loop, you actually have to average 12 hours. You have to start on a fourth okay. loop by 36 hours. So that is a huge jump. Um, like I can kind of understand finishing three loops in under 40, but to me doing three loops in under 36 and then two more, that's, that's beyond my capabilities at this time. <laughs> Maybe someday. <laughs> I don't know. It's 60 just, hours I, I to complete really it then. 60 hours to and complete 60 it. Hours, you know, yeah. So for hundred plus miles, right. you know, t more than twice Everest is what I'm hearing there. Yeah. 70,000 feet. You know, it's right. Uh, how anybody has ever finished that. 
plus you talked about you know the briars and things like that and and your navigation and the weather like i know on a good clear day when you're getting tired and things oh sorry when a good cloud comes down on top of the mountain and you know you know you know the mountains so well i'm actually a mountain guide on our local mountain so i know them really well and um but you start second guessing yourself you know and even Mm -hmm. though the compass is telling you this you're like that's not right though that does not look yeah right. yeah yep you know you've all that them karen. You've, you've all them factors well tell me what happened there karen <laughs> yeah so i got derailed at one book i was with a couple a couple other guys and it was their first time as well so um they call us virgins um in the race you got the veterans that have been there before and the virgins is their first time so we <laughs> we were looking for one book and um I'm trying to see how how to word this best, you know, with the secrecy and stuff. But basically, none of us none of us actually really looked at our compass at first when we started like following a terrain feature. We were following some water at this point, and we were so sure we were in the right place that we didn't double check that the water was going this the correct way. It was like a, a little river, and. We started following it. We started looking for some of the clues that Laz puts in the instructions, and it was probably confirmation bias. We started seeing different things that could have been what he described. Like he would say, look for a waterfall to the left of a rock wall or something like that. And we were seeing this and never having been there before, we didn't know exactly what this rock wall would look like or what the little waterfall looked like. There were so many waterfalls that day because there was so much water. (laughs) Then what Chris referred to is I actually did, pull out my map and compass and I was looking at the compass and kind of trying to see which way the water went and it's like well this doesn't really make sense it's not going the way that the map really says it should go but I'm probably using this thing wrong like I don't really know like maybe whatever I was like we're seeing these other signs so we're in the right place obviously well you know a couple hours later and we're still not finding the book I decided to sort of go back to the last known location or a place that I could like really pinpoint myself on the map and figure out where I was. And another guy ended up joining me there. And that's when we, we hit a road and we knew for sure where we were and figured out that we had been in the wrong location looking for the book and then figured out our way from there to continue on. But at that point, I mean, we had thrown all chances of finishing within the 13 hour, 20 minute limit. So we knew we wouldn't be able to go on for a second loop. Yeah, so talk to me about that then, like, because um, some people may not know about the books and what you have to do. So what what is the actual strategy or the format? Yeah, so along the course there, this year there were 13 books that we had to pull a page out of along the way. And it's basically just to give evidence that we've done the course kind of correctly. We've been to all the spots along the course. And for me, I was number one, the human sacrifice. So that was really easy in finding my page. So, it was always one of the first pages. Yeah, well, that, that was pretty fast and efficient. So tell me about that moment then of getting your number because it's quite famous. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, going back to that. I remember Amelia Boom oh, when I podcast Maggie. Amelia thought she was going to be number one. You know, she was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, there's this fear. Yeah, she did. And, and it's a great, oh, my it's a great thing because everybody and actually my mate that was on it as well, he was like, he had arrived and he's like, geez, I don't know if I should be here or not. You know, he's come all the way from Ireland yeah. and he's like, I guarantee <laughs> I'm number one. Like, you know, I don't feel I'm, I, I'm right placed here. I have to be number yeah. one. 
Um, so number one is somebody that Laz brings along that he thinks has no chance. Not that anybody finishes it. Like, it's a bit of a joke, really, because <laughs> yeah. nobody, nobody bloody finishes it. You know, John Kelly was the last person, 15 finishes altogether. Um, but the number one is the human sacrifice. You've got to love it. Like, you have to love it. So tell me about that moment about getting your number. So actually, one of our friends had checked in slightly before us. And we got a message from him that I was I was number one. Um, and we were at a store picking up some last minute things on the way to camp. <laughs> and I saw that and I like my my heart just sank. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like I was actually feeling pretty confident in the familiarity of the park and confident yeah. that I would be able to get myself around because a lot of people come here and, you know, they've never even been to the park before. And I, I know those mountains pretty well, <laughs> but then seeing that, that, that Laz was giving me number one, I was like, Oh my gosh. Like I immediately doubted everything. <laughs> um, and I had a little mini like panic attack kind of thing. And I was like, Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I was just like really, really nervous. <clears throat> and it, it just threw my confidence. Totally. It messes with your mind. But at the same time, like I was going in, I had never done a 50 miler. I'd never done anything longer than a 50 K. So fair. It's to be fair. Like I probably was the least experienced um, out of most people. I don't know everyone's background exactly, but most people don't get into Barkley with, yeah. with just a 50 K. I've only done a couple of 50 Ks actually. Like, so I probably did deserve it. And you, last you, said, you, well, you came first. You came first in BFC, yeah. you know, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I did <laughs> earn my way. Like, okay, okay, yeah. So I did earn my way there. Um, but Laz has said, yeah, the, the person that he thinks has no business being out there, basically. Um, so I came to embrace it. As, as we got to camp, I picked it up. Like, Laz, I've got a picture of Laz handing me the bib. And, like, his facial expression is, is priceless. Like, he's so excited to see, like, my reaction when I get it. Um, and I'm just like, okay, well, at that point I kind of decided like, I'm going to embrace this, accept it, like accept this challenge. And it was pretty cool because now the bar has been set really low for me. Like at that moment, it's like, he expects me to be the first person back to camp. And I'm like, okay, I just got to outlast some people out there. Like no matter what, like hopefully I'll get around to a couple books you know, and get back. But ideally I wanted to make it all the way around, but it was going to be a much easier to surpass expectations, at least Laz's expectations at that point. So I saw it then as a cool challenge to yeah. overcome. And it was, wasn't it? It was a great opportunity, even though initially it might hit you in the face. Um, but then <laughs> after a while, it sort of takes the pressure off and actually even get, yeah, definitely. Like, there's so many people don't even make a loop. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, yeah. If you don't. Oh make, yeah. There. If you don't make that loop back, your name doesn't go on the the list. If you don't make it back after your first loop, isn't that right? I think it is. My name doesn't even go on the list. Like it, you have to make it back within the time. But you got all thirteen books. I did get yes. And yeah. you were saying there it was seventeen hours, was it? Seventeen hours. So how how did that feel? <laughs> yeah, it you, was like seventeen and a half hours. So how did that feel when you come back and you shove the the pages in Laz's face? That must have been rewarding. Oh, I was so excited. Um, so I got to the yellow gate and it was, it was dark at that point. I had just put my headlamp on, maybe turned it on about 10, 15 minutes earlier. 
So I get to the gate, it's dark. <laughs> and then they hear me running up and like my poles are like clacking on the ground. And so Laz comes to the gate and asks like, who is it? Who's coming in? And so I had thought about that for a little while. Like as I was coming in those last couple of miles, I'm like, what am I going to say? <laughs> and so I just said like, it's the human sacrifice and I'm back with all my pages. Winner. And, um, I didn't, I didn't get the pleasure of him counting them because I was over the time limit, but I did count them out. I made it a point to show that I did actually get all 13 pages because those were very hard fought for. Brilliant. You must be pretty proud of that though. I, I was very, I was very proud that I made it along the whole way. Um, and I think I also earned some of Laz's respect, hopefully. <laughs> That's what I hope. Um, he, he seemed to be proud that I had navigated it without the help of a veteran, I did have help of some other virgins along the way. Um, but we made it through. What, what do you think was your biggest challenge through that experience? <laughs> um, I think like I did navigate it and, and we made it along the course, but we chose, I, I guess the routes we took were very rough. <laughs> they were rough. So like, you know, like basic navigation, skills um probably one of the first things you learn or at least one of the first things i learned here was kind of to have handrails or backstops along the way as you're going to things so i would pick things like creek beds and stuff to be handrails to follow well especially in the dark like we were just going down the creek bed like over rocks and through briars and it was really really slow and hard um i think an ideal route, like we were supposed to maybe follow the ridge that was right next to the creek bed. But I was so scared that I would lose lose that marker there that like I was like, let's just stay like as close to this creek as possible. And then I heard, you know, from Chris and some others, like, oh well, the ridge was a little bit clearer. They were able to move move faster along that kind of thing. So so that would be something that would that would help speed up um how do, you, how, do you get, how do you get the course? How do you do does he lay out the, the map at the beginning or way does that work? Yeah. Yeah. The day before when we arrived on whatever day it was, um, the day before the race started, he lays out the map and then you can, you can copy that down and he gives you a set of instructions that kind of explains that must how you're be supposed a good to find the books. Cause everybody's sitting obviously with their own maps or whatever, trying to mark theirs out and you're looking who's yeah. next to your shoulder or whatever, like these phenomenal ultra runners, you know, I was in Chamonix when Courtney crossed the finish line in UTMB. Um, yeah. Like these super, they're superstars, really, aren't they? The celebrities in the world of ultra running. Like, what was that like? So this year was different because of the COVID precautions. Oh yeah, okay. And so we couldn't have, like in the past, like everybody's kind of sitting next to each other and you're filling the map. But he put it out earlier this year so that people could look at the map, mark their maps separately. Um, so everyone's not really clustered together. So unfortunately I didn't get that experience. And, and we were kind of late. Yeah, we got there around like 6 p.m. or something and most people had already marked their maps. Yeah, no, okay. we, no, not, not 6 p.m. It was like 1 p.m. Oh, oh, I felt like it was 6 p.m. Okay. <laughs> it felt like <laughs> It felt really we were, late. No, we were way wow. later than we wanted to be there, but yeah. like, there wasn't a crowd. We went in and checked in with Laz by ourselves. There's nobody else around. and. Um, we saw the map by ourselves. And um, so, yeah, like normally he kind of takes his time putting out the map. He loves torturing um, people with that. Like he hangs up the license plates as slowly as possible. And and he kind of waits for somebody to be like, so, Les, you going to 
you know, put out that map and, and like, oh yeah, yeah, I, I just I just forgot. It, like he loves messing with people, but this year the map went out much earlier because of the precautions. He didn't want people gathering around it. Um, so yeah, it, it was it was still like you mentioned the like the um, the big names and stuff. Um, like I went over to say hi to Maggie. And Maggie and Courtney were sharing a campsite. And so I, like, I got to meet Courtney for the first time. And then Jared Campbell was there talking to them. And I met him briefly in 2019, but it was just like, man, like I'm just, I'm talking to these people that I'm going to be racing with tomorrow. And, and I'm just so in over my head. Um, How, how, like what, how did I even get to this race? I still don't even understand what last saw in me originally to put me on the wait list. Um, I, I almost feel like it was random and he just threw our names in a hat because there's no way that I should be next to Courtney and, and Jared and Maggie and all these, all these people. Um, so yeah, I, I did have a little bit of that when I went over to say hi to Maggie and I'm in between Courtney and Jared while, um, while talking to Maggie. So that was, yeah, it's, it's intimidating. Um, even with all the preparation we had done, I was, and even having been there crewing twice and seeing what camp was like and how nice everybody was i was still very intimidating yeah. um going <laughs> you, you mentioned the license plates there so for people who don't know um you have to bring a license a license car license plate from wherever you're from yes. did you have anything specific on your license plate um so mine mine was the my plate so i'm from florida originally and um i went to the U university of florida and in Knoxville, an hour from Frozen Head is the University of Tennessee. And we're big rivals um, in football or in everything, but football's the big one. And there have been a lot of people who are American run football. <laughs> What's that? American, American football. Oh, yeah. Sorry. American football. Um, I don't spot Chelsea, so... by the way. These are my son's curtains, if anybody <laughs> sees these curtains behind me. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so, like, we're big rivals in um in the in our college and I, I i was a huge like supporter of my school i went to all the games and stuff and so while there were a lot of license plates from my home state there were no florida gators like the university of florida license plates um in camp i had noticed that when i was there crewing in previous years so i made sure to bring him a gators plate <laughs> just so that all these tennessee people can see that forever in future years and have this Florida Gators plate hanging in camp. So that was, and it was my actual plate that I had on my car um, in Florida too. I, I now live in Colorado. So this was, this plate was no longer used, but I saved it um, for four years since I moved from Florida so that I could give it to Laz someday. <laughs> I'm sure he laughed, but like such a big sport and personality as well, isn't he? Like it's not just ultra running. Right. Um, yeah. He, he, he laughed a little bit when I gave him that he understood. I don't, I don't know that he's a huge fan of the university of Tennessee or anything, but he, he had a little chuckle that I, um, that I had brought that. So a lot of the ultra races that we do now are, can be extremely expensive. Um, how much was it to enter the Barclay? <laughs> so, so, okay. I'm sure you've heard it's like a dollar 60 or whatever. So it's very, very cheap to technically enter. But, oh, my gosh, like, how much money we spent on gear and stuff just, like, in advance of this race, like, testing, like, which shoes would be appropriate or which rain jackets we needed. Like, we ended up spending a ton. Um, so I don't want to give the impression that this race is a cheap race to do. But, yeah, it's $1.60 to officially enter. Um, did I hear a story about your shoes, actually? <laughs> Talking about oh. shoes. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. So after we got there, I was like checking to make sure that I had all my my gear and my, my bag and my pack was like ready. And I'm like, oh, well, let me just like pull my shoes out of my, my shoe box here. And I had to like, oh my gosh, I'd spent so much time trying time trying to narrow down which my ideal shoes would be like number one shoe choice for the race like weeks and weeks of testing different shoes in different conditions and I'd finally figured out like the one pair that I was going to wear well I look in the box and those shoes aren't there and I remembered I had worn them in a run like two days prior like our last run and I put them on a shoe dryer (laughs) in a room like the back room and I never got them off so I did not have my number one shoes, um, which threw me off a little bit. But then again, I, I like I, I mentioned somewhere that like I was talking to Larry Kelly, and then Keith Dunn was also there, who was the person that like broadcasts the race information over Twitter. And I mentioned like, oh my gosh, like I forgot my shoes. I left my shoes at home. I need somebody to go get them. And I was just so glad that Keith didn't tweet out to the world, like the human sacrifices here and has forgotten her shoes or didn't bring her shoes. I was like, that would be the worst thing ever. Um, I mean, I had backup shoes, so. It happens to loads of people, by the way. It does happen to loads of people. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. So Chris, what was your experience like through the race? How did it go? Yeah, um, it was, it was, it was, it was surreal. Um, like I went in, so Karen and I both approached it the same way um, that like everyone always says, you have to stick with a veteran or you have no chance. And, and I, I just refused to believe that. Um, and it, it wasn't arrogance. It was more just like, I didn't know any other way to approach a race mm. other than preparing to run the race myself. Cause that's just what I do. Um, I almost always end up by myself racing and I, um, and even outside of racing, like if I'm going to go climb a mountain, I'm going to research it to death. I'm going to study the maps. I'm going to memorize the route and the mileage and the vertical gain. I'm going to check the weather. I'm going to bring all the gear that I think I need. And I'm going to show up prepared to do that myself the best way that I can. And so that's what I did with Barkley. And if I had, um, ended up with a veteran like Jamil or, or, um, Maggie or, um, Jared, anybody, I would have, um, run with them if we were going at the same pace, but that never really happened. Um, I was prepared from the beginning to, to run my own race and run alone. Um, and I start up the first climb. I was in a little group, uh, actually a large group. I mean, most people were together in the first climb cause it's all on trail. And I was behind Maggie and Courtney and in front of my friend, Wes, um, who's also from Colorado. And then as soon as we went off trail, it was just madness. Um, people went in every direction. It was dark. It was foggy. Um, and I, I didn't see Luke and Jared um, that early in the race. So I thought that they were nailing everything and they were far and far ahead of us. But I got to book one. Um, only book one often has a big line. Like everybody gets there at the same time and you lose a lot of time if you're near the back of that line. Well, I somehow got to book one just fourth in line. Um, and at that point, I still figured that there were some people farther ahead, like Jared and Luke. And so I started the next descent and, and I, I did it pretty well. I got to the, um, you, you hit a trail at the bottom of that descent and that, this descent is really steep. It's off trail. It's nasty, but you hit a trail at the end and it's a trail that we've run many, many times. And so I just started going up the next climb and at the 
like almost the top of this climb, suddenly people come up behind me and it's Jared and Luke. And I'm like, wait a minute, was I just leading Barkley? Um, I had been leading for this entire climb because I somehow like did the first descent so well, I guess. I don't know. Um, so at that point, it's like, well, I'll, I'll hang with them for two seconds until I get dropped. And so <laughs> that's basically what happened. Um, cause I, so I can't, I can't climb like those guys. Um, that's the other thing that makes it hard for me to run with other people is that I'm a much, much stronger descender than a climber. And so, um, that's probably how I got in front of them on the first descent. But then as soon as we started climbing, I couldn't hang with them. So I let them go. Um, and, but then I caught up to them on the next descent. And so I ran with them a little bit on that descent and we, we found the next book together. And that's kind of how a good bit of loop one went, um, was I might catch up to them or even pass them on a descent and, um, we might find a book together. I think we found three books together. Um, and so I got to chat with them a little bit, but it was just in those brief moments because as soon as we started climbing again, I'm like, all right, have fun, guys. <laughs> I can't, I'm not going to push to stay with you because I'm going to blow up immediately if I do that. Um, so that's something I really want to work on for yeah, how, how much, the future. How much vert did you put in, like, say, you know, per week coming up to it? It's 14,500 feet per loop. Like, that is, that's a lot. Like, yeah. So, um, so my training was interesting because I didn't, I kind of ignored Barkley um, for most of the training leading up to it because I didn't want to fall in the trap of just trying to cram everything into it and then get injured or something. So I just focused on, like Barkley was always in the back of my mind, but I mainly just focused on doing the things I love to do, which is climbing peaks and, and playing in the mountains. And and luckily that comes with a lot of time on feet and a lot of vertical gain. And so I didn't really start, like, like I, when I got my condolences, it was five weeks before the race. And that's when I really flipped the switch. And I was like, okay, now it's Barkley training. Now I spend every minute of every weekend. Because that was quite, um, that was very late, like, wasn't it? Five weeks before the race. Well, well I, so, so right. So that was when, like, I, I, I started, like, spending more time in the park. And I started doing more structured, like, I want to hit some numbers of, of vertical gain. But when I look back at all my training, for the past seven months, like from August, I averaged like 13,500 feet of gain per week for the entire seven months. So I had a huge base and I had several weeks of 25,000 plus um, leading up to the race. And But I wasn't really focused on like I have to hit these numbers for yeah, Barkley. Yeah. It was until the very end. Um, and so I had a couple key weekends like three and four weeks before the race that I that I'll, I'll probably repeat next year. Um, I did back-to-back -back long runs in the park of like the, we have what's called the Barkley challenge loop, um, which is, it's like a all on trail. Um, it's a fun like FKT route. That, um, so like it's about 21 miles with 6,500 feet of vertical gain. So I did that on back-to-back -back days, um, Saturday and Sunday. That was a, a big double long run weekend. And then the next weekend I did back-to-back -back days of 10,000 feet of gain. Um, and so that was the peak weekend for me. Um, I had like 20, almost 28,000 feet of gain that week. Um, so I, I had some big numbers, um, but it wasn't like Gary Robbins doing his overnight 20,000 feet on his local mountain or anything. Um, another thing I did, 
Um, but the back to backs, the back to the back to backs, the back to backs are very important, though, aren't they? You know, because right, because you're always yeah. training for the the second half of a race, really, and you're going out with mm -hmm. fatigue legs, and you're trying to climb, so they shouldn't be underestimated on how much benefit your body gets from a back to back. Right, and so on the back to back um, topic, I did in for like in January um, into the beginning of February, I did this challenge with myself. Um, where I was trying to summit a different peak every single day, like a different peak, um, no repeated peaks. And this was mostly in Colorado in winter. Um, and so every single day for 40 days, I did a different summit and I was prioritizing the steepest routes possible. Um, I was in horrible conditions with snow and mud and, and weather. Cause I, it was, I was like, I don't want to break the streak. And so I was forced to go out every day, no matter what I went out in snowstorms. I did one overnight in like, well below freezing temperatures um and that was that was all preparing me for barkley but it was just me having fun climbing peaks um and so barkley was in the back of my mind it was part of the motivation but it i was not saying hey this is barkley training this was just me climbing peaks which is what i love to do did you train together at all yeah um, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, yes, and sure. We didn't yeah. do the exact same thing, though. Um, I had a coach, or I have a coach, um, who gave me a little bit more structured training, and it differed in the beginning. I was doing some more speed work and less just like peak climbing and stuff, maybe six months out from the race. And as we got closer, I switched to more of the steep vert and more time on feet um and it's, and so it's, some it is risky isn't it it's risky on your legs you know it's like your quads yeah. can get very fatigued and i i actually have a bit yeah, of I, a, a a muscle it, seems keeps going in spasm on me every time it hits seven or eight thousand feet and i know it's fatigue just coming in the quads which i'm working on at the minute but when you're doing 14 and a half thousand feet it's all about the, that strength in the legs isn't it you know mm -hmm. yeah so yeah. many different things can go wrong here and if it, if it can go wrong, it generally does. Yeah. yeah so when our, our training kind of overlapped, like we would, we would do stuff together, but I definitely did not do as much, um, as much mileage or as much vert as Chris did. Yeah. And like when we were doing, when I was doing that peak streak, I would try to pick something that either we could do it together or we could start together on a trail. And then I would branch off and go hit the peak and then we'd meet up afterwards or when I was doing my um, my repeats to get 10,000 feet, um, like close to the race, she, she did part of it with me. And then she went and got some food and she came back and it was my aid station and brought me some some Gatorade and stuff. Um, so like we, Spoiled. yeah, we love training together. Um, we, we try to do everything together, um, but sometimes it doesn't make sense. And so we'll, oh. um, we'll yeah, it. like. I was going to say, like, <laughs> so we differ in, like, our paces and stuff a lot, too. So a lot of people ask, like, are you guys going to run together? Or they assumed we would do this, do Barkley together. No, no way at all. Yeah, um, that's not going to happen. <laughs> so, yeah, we'd probably be arguing about stuff and all that. Um, I mean, we normally yeah, we, we get along. Barkley, but... Barkley was the beginning of our relationship. We didn't want it to also be the end of our relationship. <laughs> so we decided yeah. immediately we were not doing it together. It would frustrate both of us. We wanted to we just wanted to do our own thing and if we ended up together which was possible it's happened in other races that would have been fine but it was never yeah. planned to be together i'd done a, a peak with my wife the other day and you know i'm i'd be a lot stronger 
I'm six foot one as well, so I'm tall, so it's easier to ascend. And I was uh, I was in like I was waiting for about fifteen minutes at the top and saying, like, come on, like, you know. But she is such <laughs> a fast descender and it was a long descent. <laughs> And she loved it. Like she just left me behind and she just went on, <laughs> you know, as quick as she That's could, awful. like, you know, and at the bottom, she's waiting for me for 15 minutes. And it sort of goes that way <laughs> all the way up. And down. We're so kind of the I opposite. Wish... Um, I so wish. Yeah. I have, I have a hard time keeping up with Karen sometimes on climbs, but descents, that's my strength. And so, yeah, we're the opposite of you guys, but, but generally we try to just stick together and we go each other's pace, unless we're trying to get a workout or something where we need to push this or maybe we're going after a Strava segment or something, we might like agree to meet at the bottom. <laughs> um, but usually we just, the other person slows down because there's really, there's no, no such thing as too slow. Um, if it's an easy run, if it's just an easy day, it's fine to, for me to slow down or for her to slow down there. Um, it's bet and it's just more time on feet, which for Barkley is, is mm. good. So, so, so how, yeah, how we, far we did you get no then Chris? How far did you get? So I, I completed loop one in like 10 hours, 40 something minutes. And then I went on loop two and I got six books before quitting. Um, I, I had a hip issue. Um, that was the biggest reason I quit. Um, I mean, I was tired too. Like it was, it was hard. I mean, it was, it was getting colder. It was raining, but the hip was the biggest thing. I, I fell early in the race, like maybe under less than two hours into the race. I fell on the second big off trail descent and I landed hard on my hip and I ignored it for a while but um about two-thirds of the way through the first loop is when it started to come back and it's like oh I'm, I'm really noticing this now and descending was getting harder and with that being my normal strength it, it was really slowing me down to not be able to descend as fast as I wanted and so um so then loop two, that just kept getting worse. I almost quit after the first book because I was worried about doing the next descent and being and not being able to get back to camp. But I decided to go for it. Um, and I ended up meeting up with a couple other guys. One of them was my friend Wes from Colorado. And so that lifted my spirits and got me to go a little, a few more books. But then after, um, after the fifth book, I think, at, at, after Ratjaw, basically at the tower, I just, I couldn't get down Ratjaw. <laughs> like I was really struggling getting down Ratjaw. And so I agreed to go to the next book with them. I agreed to go to the next book with them, which I, I dropped. Because beyond that, it was another big descent. And it would put me at the farthest point on course from camp. Um, and I just, there's no, there's no safety um, personnel there. Or we don't have a helicopter to come get us. Like when you quit... You're not done. Well, you still have to get back. The saying is, "Helps, helps not coming," isn't it? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So that was the main thing. And like before every race, Laz talks about his hundred percent self extraction rate in thirty five years. No one's ever been rescued, um, <laughs> and I didn't want it. Like that's a surefire way to never get invited back if you if you're that person. So next year he has to say, "Well, we had this one guy get rescued, but other than that, we have, so we have a ninety nine percent self extraction rate." Like, no, I'm not going to be that guy. And so, in a normal race, I would have pushed through and injured myself more. Um, I've done it before, actually. It's it's not smart, but for a race like Barkley, where or, or like a race you really care about, sometimes you decide that's worth it to risk further injury to get farther. But in Barkley, risking further injury also risks um, putting yourself in real danger and, and risking other people having to come get you. And I just couldn't, I couldn't 
make the move down that next descent in good conscience and and know that I could get back to camp. So that's where I quit. Because the end isn't in sight. <laughs> you know, you know yeah. when you when you're going in pain in an ultra race and you're doing like a 50k race or whatever, it's a hundred k. You know, it might be mm-hmm. a death march, but you've twenty k left to go. You right. know, the end is in sight. But you know, yeah, if, if you have eight stations that can, yeah. If you got another seven <laughs> books. You know, well, guess what? There's another 13 waiting for you. So, like, <laughs> right. You know, when you're feeling yeah. that pain, and you know, and you're, and the head goes down, and it really emphasizes on that. You know, you're talking days mm-hmm. here. You know, it's not like, right. So, yeah. there, there is no let's push it through for the next six hours and we'll be okay. So, how did it feel? And it must have been, even though it's disappointing in a roundabout way, um, I don't know. But, depends how far you get like i don't think i would have been disappointed with either your efforts you know but done 17 hours and i got 13 books and i was getting tapped out the whole experience of that i would reflect on being awesome you know i wouldn't be disappointed in that in any way or form even to be honest getting the number one laz if you're listening um <laughs> you know yeah. it's like i would actually see the funny side of that myself um even to be there and be selected you know laz even though it may be the human sacrifice he is still picking you for a reason you know you've got strong attributes Mm -hmm. there you might be as strong as everybody else but you're not like my (laughs) mother-in-law you know (laughs) there's there's reasons why he is picking people and he does want people to be able to get back out and no matter what he says you know he would love you to go on as far as you can go on like he loves being proven wrong he wants that you know mm-hmm. what was it like meeting Laz, um, Karen? I suppose you've met him before, Chris. We we both yeah we both have met him before. Karen okay. actually spent oh I uh, more time with him than I have. But uh, <laughs> yeah, we met him at the Fall Classic. Yeah, I had yeah. met him at previous. But I will say that after I finished, or after I not finished, I did not finish anything. <laughs> after I was after I was done. After I quit and got back to camp. Um, I turned in my, or well, I told him what I had, what I had done, that I had six pages and, um, we talked for 10 minutes, just me and Laz one-on-one. I had never had that experience before where I had his undivided attention and that was really rewarding. Um, that was one of the, and Karen actually got a video of it. Um, that's one of my more cherished memories of this year was just getting to talk to Laz about my time out there. And he, he was really interested in it and, and seemed excited at what I had accomplished and, so, uh, so I had met him, but I'd never really been one-on-one talking to him. So that, that was really cool. It's mad, isn't it? Absolutely mental. But, so yeah. I had met, I had met him a couple times previously. Um, most notably, what was it? Two years ago, 2019, he needed some volunteers to help him place a book for Barkley before Barkley. And so he was asking some of like the locals, <clears throat> if anyone could go out there and sort of like assist him just keep him company while he was placing a book. And, um, I was one of maybe three people that got to go with him, which was really cool. We spent several hours out there just like here, you know, I got to hear like conversations and just him talking about different things. I remember like one of the key things I remember though was, um, there's this, there's this tree <laughs> that's been like chopped down or something. It's on the bird mountain trail. Um, and it looks like a throne sort of (laughs) and we were looking at it as we approached it and Laz was like yeah i carved that thing myself with a pocket knife 
one time. <laughs> and, and I was like, what? I was like, really? Like, did you really do that? And, and his response um, was basically, yeah, your, your parents didn't lie to you enough as you were when you were a kid. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was like, okay, yeah. I mean, I thought it was possible. He could have carved that thing for all I knew. But um, yeah, that was a really strange cool effect he has on people. I, I obviously interviewed him on the podcast. Yeah. It's a very difficult podcast to do, even though it was epic, by the way. Because I was so starstruck by having, mm -hmm. like, as soon as he answered, it was a phone call. Because um, he he sent me a message. I do not know technical. He says, "Can you call me?" <laughs> I goes, "Okay." Um, a typical lag style. But as soon as he answered and you heard that voice, it was just like, Ugh. "Right now, talk, Robbie, talk." You know. But he has yeah. this. He has this effect on, like he's the grandfather of ultra running, really, isn't he? For yeah. He. He's very, um, he's like an epic personality, uh, has a lot of cool experiences. I, there's a, I have a lot of respect, I guess, for all of like the journey running and stuff that he's done. I mean, I guess, you know, you probably talked about it on the podcast too, about him, like his trans America, you know, track a couple years ago, and then he's planning on doing another, another similar type of thing, but it's just really cool to see all the roads that he's traveled, like in the U S that you could see in the documentary and stuff on his map too. But he's Tennessee. ran like he's ran like a one eighteen half marathon, from memory. Like that is yeah, yeah it's faster That's than, than either of us have done it. <laughs> yeah. Like, but, <laughs> yes. Yeah, there was a yeah. there was a yeah, tweet a this runner. year. There was a tweet this year where like I guess the media was like, "Oh, you you were a runner, Laz." Like they didn't realize <laughs> that. They just thought he was this sadistic person who came up with this race. Like no, Laz Laz was a good runner. He he like this race yeah. came about because. He was like this young, cocky ultra runner who was like, James Earl Ray only traveled eight miles. I could do at least 100 in that time. <laughs> um, so like, yeah, he was he was a good runner, better better runner than either of us. Um, and he still he still runs. He's still out there for hours almost every day um, training for his his next um, transcon, um, which I think he just had to like reschedule or something because of COVID. But um, but yeah, he's still very active. And, um, yeah, you want to check yeah. out my podcast, actually, because it was all about Laz. So I tried to not talk about the races so much um, because mm -hmm. he was such an interesting guy. And he, he's got he's such a clever person. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. that his, his mind works on a different level together. Listen, I appreciate the time. Okay. Chris, Karen, what's on the cards yeah. for 2021? So we both have Pikes Peak Marathon wow. coming up. This will be my first time doing that. And so far I haven't had great experience at altitudes, <laughs> at high altitudes, <laughs> like even just hiking up them. So I'm really curious to see how that, that comes out. But that, that goes uh, up the Chris bar has done that before. Is it Bars Trail? Goes up the Bars Trail, doesn't it? Bar, tra bar Trail. Bar Trail, yeah. yeah it's quite famous, so, uh, for being, live... quite famous for being struck by lightning on that trail, apparently. Yeah, so yeah, uh, that's, so Colorado is like the, <laughs> Um, one of the highest rates of, of lightning fatalities in the country because of nice. there's so much land above tree line. And, um, and so when you're above 12,000 feet or so, you are the highest thing in the area. So yeah, people have been struck by lightning on a lot of the mountains out there. Um, I don't think it's happened during the Pikes Peak Marathon. No. Um, they've had some scares um, before, and I think they've even shortened the race due to lightning. Um, the rule of thumb out there is that you need to be back below tree line by noon. Um, and so the race usually, 
Um, the race starts at 7 a.m., so most of the field would be back down before noon. But storms can happen anytime. I've seen lightning um, early in the morning before on um, on peaks. So, um, so yeah, and you can get snow out. It's in August, but it's it's snowed before. It can be 95 degrees. Um, both years I've done it, it's been 95 degrees. So I it was pretty miserable. I am much more of a cold weather runner. So I'm hoping for a snow year one of these times so I can I can be more comfortable. But um, yeah, this will be my third Pikes Peak. I live less than a mile from the start line. So wow. I just jog to the start for my warm up. Um, and so I'm excited. I'll keep doing that race every year as long as I live there. It's it's such it's, a classic. It's changed race now, hasn't it? Them. It's um, part of now of the World Series because it was yeah, 2019. It, yeah, yeah, 2019. Right. They made the video. It was phenomenal to watch. And you got the likes yeah, of Kellyanne so, and Jim Wamsley and all those guys. Yeah, I was actually so in 2018, I think I was part of the Solomon team filming. They asked for some local volunteers to to help chase people around, and so I got to chase the top five men downhill um, on the last couple miles. Uh, and that was the year that Dakota Jones broke the course record for the descent. And so I hung with him for about two minutes, and then he was gone. And I had just been standing around. I was ready to go I, w I was rested and then he showed up and was 20 miles into this race and i could only hang with him for two minutes it was really cool to run with yeah. with that caliber of athlete um but yeah since then i've been running the race myself um so i haven't been a part of that but that was a really cool experience and it's great what solomon has done with that series so i also have one more race too that's on the calendar i'm doing quest for the crest in north carolina so 50k is it yeah, 50K. And that's um, less. No, it's it's a little. It's like it's in mid-May. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> it feels like it's coming up fast. So racing is all open doors then at the minute? Yeah. Mm. Um, they still have some precaution. I mean, I wouldn't say that it's all like open as if, mm. it, you know, COVID wasn't going on. It's, um, it's there's moving. definitely lots of precautions. It's adapting all yeah. the time and moving. I'm not sure whether or not to book my flights yet for the Barkley Classic. Hopefully... I would think in the fall it should be good. I mean, we're yeah. all starting to get vaccinations now. Like Tennessee's opened it up to basically most age levels, I think, now. Like we're getting our vaccines next in a week or two. Two weeks, um, yeah. Yeah. Two I've, weeks, ha I've so. had my vaccination as well. So, you nice. know, UK's done a really good job of getting the vaccination. So there's a lot of politics That's going good. on with it now with Europe and the UK, like, mm -hmm. but don't even watch the news mm -hmm. anymore. But um, hopefully, hopefully it comes together and we can, we can get lost in the Barker Classic. Yeah, I hope you <laughs> yeah. make it there. Guys, thanks very much. That was brilliant. I'm not going to do any editing. That's how I know it's a good podcast. Um, awesome. Winner. So it was. I might even get that bit in the beginning. Well, thanks, Charlie. Great to meet you. I'm glad. Glad it was a success. Another great Barkley episode. I absolutely love that place. Lazarus Lake really has taken the world of ultra running to the next level. Just like to thank everybody who's still downloading the podcast, even though we haven't been knocking episodes out. We will get back to a cadence very soon. Still have no Hannah's podcast to knock out, so we'll try our best to get it out next weekend. Until then, stay safe and keep on moving. <laughs>